Hi, welcome back to the Shelf Impactors podcast. In the third episode of this season, Lisa Hastings and I catch up and chat about a few things that we feel will be hot topics over the coming year for all things relating to brands and moreover the marketing of both luxury and FMCG products. Lisa still resides in Sydney and we chat about how Australia have been coping with the severity of the recent bushfires. We then get stuck into the meat of the podcast, which is a discussion on three key things that we know are going to be big areas for brands to focus on this year. The first topic is plant-based diets and uh, discussing if we're at the start of a meat-free revolution. The second is gender neutrality. Traditional assumptions about gender are being challenged. And number three, the alcohol-free movement, the sober curious space and its growth. And we round out the podcast with a quick thought on whether Britishness is going to change post-Brexit. Good morning, good evening, Lise. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. It's been forever since we've done one and we're back to do a little podcast. <laughs> it has. Do you know what? I was just looking at the previous recordings and uh, we haven't, sorry, done this since March last year. So it's been quite some time. Um, so what have you been up to in the last 10 months or so? Because uh, what have you been doing? I was just about in Sydney, I think, at the last time we did a podcast. So I definitely got back to Australia and I'd been keeping a low profile. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was a really busy 2019 was really busy and lots happening um, and very much up and down, moving country and all those kind of things. So but um, the end of it um, ended with me being I've been really busy working with a really great agency um, to do some intuitive coaching as well on the side, but also working with them to bring some brands, projects and things to life in their Sydney space. Excellent. Um, I finally got my website up. Hey, well done. <laughs> and and um, yeah, so working, I'm sort of building my own profile, I suppose, mm -hmm. in person with people, um, and working directly with agencies. A couple of great ones Excellent. at the moment. What, what's the website, Lisa? What, what's the website you've been working on? It is lisahastings.me. It's a personal website, but it's got some of my work on there. It's got some of the coaching work that I do. If anyone wants to work with me. It was just time to have something beyond a LinkedIn profile yeah, that I'd, brilliant. you know, it's, it's easy. We do so much work for other people and it was time to just sit there and just get something out there um, that was probably about just so people could contact me more yeah, than anything. Everyone really was good. asked as if we have a website and it's like, all right, yes, just build it now. Yeah, just do something. <laughs> it's not perfect. It's not perfect, but it was, it was out there. How about you, Mark? You've had a pretty busy nine months too yes indeed yeah, a bit of sort of beyond that it's um so last 12 months or so has been sort of included quite a few changes in life and lifestyle with Lorraine and I uh, had a, a baby six months ago so we have young Alexander who spends or takes an awful lot of our time and uh, sleep <laughs> a little monkey um no he's lovely growing up lots and lots of developments happening um I have a young son George who's 11 years old and the difference and I've forgotten you forget so quickly what it is like bringing up a tiny little baby and all the little sort of intricacies of what's involved and the sleeping and the weaning and what have you it's um and it's changed quite a lot actually uh, without boring of the details you um how to bring up a baby there's so many recommendations and 
dictations of what you should and what you shouldn't do. And it's even the last 10 years, there's things that you sh- you could do or you were advised to do then, you shouldn't be doing now. So um, yeah. it's trying to keep up with the latest. The world is completely different. Yeah, well, yeah, that's then. it. The world is changing. The world is changing. So anyway, yes, got a baby. Um, what else? Um, work-wise, been working with um, some of the same agencies I was working with last year and a couple of new ones, all in central London. Um, much like yourself, FMCG, primarily doing sort of packaging design, a little bit of strategic work for them. Um, for them all but uh, no thoroughly enjoying it still loving London um, I I still don't tire of it and I know people do talk about getting exhaustion from working in the bigger cities and certainly within London I don't I love it a bit so I, I even enjoy my commute I get frustrated with the delays and the tube lines being hot and stuffy sometimes but you know it's part of it and I just enjoy the sort of energy that London brings and it can some often bring it into your own work as well. So into your own creativity, some of the stuff you're passing on your way through to work, um, be it what you're seeing in store windows or whatever, really helpful. So yes, still loving London. Yeah, there's definitely a real buzz to it, isn't there, about being that city person. I just listened Mm. to another podcast, a Creative Rebel one, before we spoke on this podcast. And there was a guy on there, Alexander Alistair Humphreys, talking about how He's constantly gone out to whenever he thinks he's comfortable and enjoying things, he pushes himself to do something different. And I think when you're in cities, you're constantly experiencing something different. Mm. The frustrations add to part of making it different. Yeah. Whilst whilst we're on it, actually, whilst we're on the subject of Sydney, because um, we in the UK have been seeing lots and lots of uh, news clippings, and I'm sure not just the UK, around the world, of how Sydney's been really suffering under the recent heat and the bushfire has been happening um how are things at the moment i hear you've been having yeah, a bit of rain and, of late yes we've all been rain dancing as i think <laughs> everyone around the world is and look it's not just sydney it's the whole of australia like the whole of australia is practically on fire or has been on fire yeah. i i personally have never seen anything like it like i have quite a few, a few people that i'm connected with um in spiritual connections that have spent time with aboriginals and things like that and and will tell me um you know how like bushfires are common in australia like mm. they people have lived and experienced them before so it's it's not scary but what it has done this time is almost taught us to look at the people who've known and experienced them the most so a lot of the aboriginals know how to deal with bushfires and for once probably for one of the first times ever in a long time is that the whole country the whole world is actually listening to the people who know the best mm. the people that for a longer time they've left isolated out there but you know the people that it's the same it's just it's like a chinese knowledge thing isn't it we defy things that we think aren't relevant to us or that don't have scientific proof but actually listening to the people who've experienced and lived through these and working with them instead of against them to kind of rebuild everything that we've got here it's actually been brilliant to see how something so devastating and flying to melbourne showed how devastating it was seeing it from the air yeah, so i've not yeah. taken a flight throughout the bushfires but i flew over there the other day yeah and just seeing the ground as black and you know the smoke hitting we couldn't we had to we were delayed by an hour landing in melbourne because even in the 10 minutes that we'd taken off to starting to get into the um city mm-hmm. the uh, visibility had changed so badly that we just had to circle in the air because the smoke had hit the city. Crikey. Did you see the and fires so, from above then? Could you see the flames yeah, of the fires? Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's insane to see it. Like it's taken out, there's um, reading earlier today 
in the papers that 80 percent of the blue mountains of which you'll probably remember mark I do very much that so 80 percent 80 percent of the iconic blue mountains in new, new south wales has been lost to the fires <sighs> And I mean, for anyone who's ever been here or traveled here, like it's nothing to make you feel more like you belong to a place is when you see it being torn apart. But in in the past, though, I mean, obviously we know that Australia is so used to having bushfires and have them in the past. But in terms of percentage, though, what do we think in the past these bushfires have done and in terms of how much of the forest they've destroyed? And is that normal? Is it normally a 50 percent destruction? well, I think I think the the type of destruction is as it's been before, but how quickly it's elevated and spread. Yeah. Um, and, and you're just, only halfway guess, through summer, aren't you? You've got another. Yeah, yeah. Few months and I of just, summer I, season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely more to come, and mm. they're bound to get worse. I think it's more the fact that even even though it, we're so many years in the future, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the things that are up and coming and trends and, and mm. modern technology and everything, we can't control nature. Yeah. We can only contribute to the effects of it, I suppose. If nothing else, it's, every, it's brought the country all together to think about our prime minister and the fact that we don't have a climate change policy. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about that, isn't it? It's, Do you think that yeah. the Australians are relating this to climate change and it's climate change is, is the big effect here? based on what's been going think, on the last think, few decades. I think it's divided people because a lot of people who've been born, bred and brought up here have yeah. seen bushfires before. So there is still that amount of people that go, it's what happens, like it's Australia, we know. Yeah. There's also a belief that like, in terms of uh, history and heritage is that every so many years we have these bushfires because the actual nature needs to regenerate. Yeah. So it needs to burn to the ground in order to grow back and start afresh. So people have been saying that with the animals because I mean it's, the saddest thing to see is how animals have lost their homes and how they're coping. Yeah. People will say, like, it happens, like, it's history. It needs to burn completely to the ground to start again. It's a real belief that 2020 is, you know, this whole new decade. It's this golden age and era that we're all hearing about, that it's all part of that. Like, you can take into that and believe what you think. But, uh, so what do you mean, golden, think, golden age for growth and development? Or? Of, uh, yeah, and just for starting of anything new. It's like an no. iconic... You know, it, it's a new decade. It's a new mm. awakening, I suppose. There's a lot of teachings and beliefs around that. Um, so it's interesting to see where it all pans out to. But it's it's well, it's raised awareness. It's but it's brought humanity together. It's devastating to see, but it's also in an age of auto, you know, of AI and robots. Yeah, this is about real humanity, even all around the world. No, I agree. It is amazing when these massive disasters, be it natural or something that humans have brought about. They do bring communities and sort of sometimes countries together. Climate change concerns that everyone is worried about. Um, everyone, it's, it's everyone's duty to sort of take notes and do what they can, I think. I mean, without sort of preaching to everyone out there, I do believe that we're all in control and we can all do something to make it better. So uh, at least improve the world. So anyway, Definitely. rather than being uh, the preacher right here, what, <laughs> one of the main reasons that I think we're, what we're going to chat about today, um, three things that we think are affecting the world of sort of brand and marketing. Um, the first of which um, is something quite close to both of our hearts, um, specifically to Lisa's heart, and it is plant uh, or vegan-based diets and sort of how the meat-free revolution is growing in perpetuity. You summed it up absolutely perfectly just before when we were talking about it's essentially 
a trend is a shift in behavior and that's the thing isn't it it's not about looking at something that's just going to quickly come and go right. um and in terms of designers i mean we work with businesses um and we work with companies even people to unlock opportunities from those by seeing the way the world is moving and how external influences are affecting us as consumers and as people we can unlock opportunity we can see things that might be relevant before they even happen and that's why we use trends that's why you know this rise in veganism things is relevant because it it can unlock innovation which is that's exciting that's a great way to think about how it might go i I totally agree and i think the other thing as well which i often think about is the 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 way the pendulum swings so sometimes the the plant-based um let's call it the plant-based revolution or the meat-free revolution however you want to term it I think it might swing one way too far and then come back and settle itself in a more comfortable zone in the coming years. Um, it may well be that in time to come, you know what, nutritionally, we need these meats in our diets. Therefore, we need to include a little bit of meat in our diet. So going entirely meat-free isn't quite right, but we just need to be aware that the consumption of or overconsumption of meat is, can be detrimental to both you nutritionally, potentially, and also the sort of the... Um, animals that are being consumed. The thing is with all of these things is that now we have access to more knowledge than ever and it's about choosing what's relevant to us and also which to believe. I mean, we've all seen, well, yeah. most people have seen Game Changers now and then the Joe Rogan show that mm-hmm. sped off that where, right. you know, it almost, it becomes a bit of an argument. So I don't know what you're seeing over there but definitely here in Sydney it's become, the vegan thing has become, a, it's been a bit, a bit divisive in a way. Because yeah, rather than getting people on board to go, well look anything that you're doing and I'm a big endorser of plant-based eating or eating less processed food. So, and from a diet point of view, like I do that and, and I, you know, another podcast is reasons why I do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not vegan but I can see why people and I champion some of the people who are fully vegan to why they are and i think education is the thing isn't it that we actually do need to cut animal product consumption as part of the sustainability so all of these trends feed into each other Mm. um so you know that there are good reasons to not just for health reasons there's actually good reasons to reduce the amount of meat that we eat but for me personally it's more about reducing the um, um it's more about the quality than the quantity yeah, um, so I think absolutely. if you choose good quality meat or grass-fed meat and those kind of things, it's, it's more of an education. And rather than we're seeing so many things like protests and stuff here that are about don't eat meat and almost almost telling people off for doing it rather yeah. than educating them to say, well, maybe just switch to – I'm a big fan of things like the meat-free Mondays and stuff. So mm-hmm. you're getting people on board rather than trying to convert people 100% to start off with. I've just picked out some figures here and numbers in terms of what's working. Number of consumers actually trying to reduce their meat intake apparently is somewhere between 42 and 52 percent currently in the UK. Um, Do you think veganuary is a big sort of kickstarter for a lot of people to? I mean, I know that anything at this time of year is a kickstarter for things, isn't it? So yeah, and I think it's a growing trend. People like to be part of something, so mm, it allows them to be part of something. Um, it's it, we don't definitely more brands are launching into vegan and i know like to be honest if you're a brand that can spot that opportunity how great did greg's do in the uk last year because they saw the opportunity that you know people's attitudes and and tastes and things are changing it also i think 
you can actually develop some some people are saying that the new beyond burger at mcdonald's or whatever it is or mm. is it the new water that's, that's plant-based plant yeah yeah it tastes nicer so i think also people have got what they want in terms of taste wise and burgers I think is very different innovation I, is sorry Liz, let me just jump in i'm saying i think burgers are very different on that subject when people garnish them with so many different flavors mayonnaise yeah. bacon oh, maybe not maybe not bacon for, for the meat-free one but um tomato sauces and gherkins and whatever i do think that that can hide and mask the flavor so the actual quality and taste of the meat in some of those burgers doesn't really have an impact on your enjoyment of the burger because there's so many other things you're putting in your mouth with alongside it anyone who does it but i do have a bit of a thing when everyone sort of says it's health my one issue is it's healthier to eat vegan no it's healthier to eat plant-based or whole foods Whole foods, which was actually part, yeah. yeah, which was actually part of that um, argument, wasn't it, on the Joe Rogan show mm. um, that we should include in the show notes for this one. I'm sure everyone's listened to the podcast. Um, yeah, definitely. Between we can include that. Chris Cresser, like Chris Cresser, and um, the guy who did Game Changers, that was a really good debate. Yes, I mean, essentially, just to bring people into the picture, the, the Game Changers, which is a sort of Netflix documentary, an MMA fighter, mixed martial arts fighter, who uh, was a, a superb athlete. Um, became a plant-based eating individual and felt that he was performing better um, both physically and mentally his cognitive abilities were improved and he was finding that life in general for him was improving just simply by cutting out meat entirely and he pursued this sort of um, channel of wanting to sort of see how much of a plant-based diet can benefit him as an athlete and he went and did quite a good job of picking out cherry picking, might I add, but picking out facts that benefited <laughs> um, benefited the sort of plant based diet and suggesting that this will actually increase athletes' abilities. And it's an hour and a half long documentary, extremely well put together. Um, it is quite it is it's quite well insightful because it does sort of put the spin on it, doesn't it? That mm. if you eat vegan, you will perform better. Yeah, and if you're a meat eater, you eventually you're going to sort of you're going to die out. Personally, and I've probably suggested this before, I'm very much an advocate of eating meat is important and the protein. Certainly if you're, if physical performance is important to you in terms of how you um, perform in, a, in an athletic environment or a sports environment, I do think meat is required for your muscle, muscle growth. Um, but some people can sort of perform on mainly plant-based. So, you know, it's going to swing around. Yeah. There are some great brands out there who are making meat alternatives um one of which i picked up the other day which i thought was brilliant it's called this have you heard of this brand yeah. it's it, it's awesome like i've actually used it recently i'm working really? um with a poultry producing company at the moment and yeah like this was one of the brands that i said look look how confident and loud and proud and yeah. bold this is i think it's pearl fisher that did it no i t- take that back i think it's johnson banks that did the design okay. for it I think their strapline really strap is strong branding. plant-based food for meat lovers. So they're not suggesting you place meat with it, but it's just there for you if you want it as a meat lover. I just think in terms of a brand point of view, like, I mean, let's put our own personal views on whether or not meat is good or bad. And, and I think, like I say, it's, it's about working out what works for you, right? Mm. And also being mindful of the planet. Um, but I think put that aside, it's a really exciting time at the moment to see if the people even... Like I said, I'm working at the moment with a poultry 
company to see how they rise to this challenge because these are really innovative new things that are coming up mm-hmm. and that this isn't meat or this isn't chicken is a really good example of a brand going we're proud of who we are we're bringing something yeah. new to the table it's a challenger brand then it'll be interesting to see in 10 years time if that's still around for the poultry but company also- is that is that a challenge for for them to address how they farm their product and how they sort of suggest that they farm their product because is, is it just a case of people assume if it's a poultry product it's going to be farmed intensively interesting talking to them at the moment because um we went in and said look do you see plant-based food as being like a bit of a threat to your industry at the moment look in the fridge look in the fridge section look mm. in the freezer section and look how much it's starting to take up the space but in terms of poultry definitely here in australia at the moment it's more of a threat for red meat it's more of a threat for burgers it's more of a threat for those kind of things if i'm completely honest Mm -hmm. like even in terms of like if mcdonald's or um burger king hungry jacks here didn't do an alternative to burger to beef right if it's it's less of a threat for people like kfc maybe because i think if people are going to cut one thing out of their diet the first thing they'll cut is the red meat before the white meat so I think it's more of a consumer shift and it's also a demand in terms of flavours and what people want. Actually, another trend that collided with this one about the rise of optimism and optimistic futures. So rather than doing the whole, oh, if we eat meat forever, then we're going to kill the planet, people are starting to see it from a lot more of a positive point of view. They'll go, cut up the amount of meat that you eat and we actually might make a difference. <laughs> Yes, I like, yes it is. It's this wonderful. whole sort of rebuilding the world and the carbon positive and stuff like that. Mm. There's also loads more research and stuff coming out to prove that you know, like, there are other ways that the the amount of chemicals used to create meat-free meat is more so than definitely than the chicken industry has to worry yeah. about. For example, what you touched on before actually very briefly was the um, crossing over of where it's not just about diet now; it's about how where other sort of brands and products that can actually tap into this world of um, globe friendly or climate friendly. One brand that's done it of late, certainly last, you may have seen in the news last couple of days is Colgate. They've gone ahead and produced um, Smile for Good, which is a vegan and recyclable toothpaste. So the toothpaste is um, plant-based friendly. That's the best way to put it, because it suggests that normal toothpaste contains animal-based glycerine and um yeah this new one doesn't and the tubes which are who knew? like i didn't even I they're things you didn't even think about i know it's actually quite a nice pack so it's what i want to try and do because i know we've got a couple of subjects that we want to sort of touch on we do um now so we'll park plant-based there we could talk about that for uh, for hours i'm sure the other subject i thought or the other sort of trend that we, we were both talking about was gender neutrality or gender neutral or gender fluided fluidity um and how the traditional assumptions about gender are being challenged i'm really excited to talk about actually because i think when we were like oh what trends should we talk about now and we're like oh i quite want to talk about that one this one actually and i've grown up as a bit of a tomboy despite the fact that i like makeup and have blonde hair um (laughs) this one really did it really did stand out because i think it's an interesting one and how that might manifest definitely into uh you know our area of working yeah well last year was the year of female wasn't it i I think no one could argue that last year and and to be honest the last few years has been all about girl power Mm. and female power and almost you know the revolution of women in every sort of area yeah 
And so to almost then go against that and go, it's well, not against it. It's, it's about bringing it back to a base where it's not male power or female power. It's a neutrality. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. I've got a perfect little quote here from Coca-Cola's campaign, I think, um, during the Super Bowl they had last year. And uh, it was, a, I guess it's a strap line they were using for, for it. And it touches on, um, there's no one quite like you or her or him or them. The world is filled with over 7 billion unique yous who are all special in their own way. Um, so all brands now are starting to recognise that um, there is, there's a place for branding things which are sort of multi-purpose and multi, multi-gender is the best way to put it, where it sort of encompasses well, even, everyone. Yeah, even Mattel, which like when we were growing up, we would have like Barbie dolls or, or Ken toys. They created a gender creatable doll yes so the gender neutral so dolls like you you're buy, right yeah, yeah like, and i think it's you know it's not even a neutral it's like you pick what gender you want it to be and... yeah well they've got sort of they're not only that they're being completely inclusive it's not just on gender they've also got sort of different skin dolls sorry different skin yeah. tones too so it's a mix these dolls are pretty much can be made up to be anything in anyone I think you can just have so much choice almost mm. like we want choice everyone wants choice and I know that um, when I was researching and reading into this consumer trend, I was reading very much about it's Gen Z that expects more of this kind of thing and yeah. more choice than ever. Mm-hmm. But I think you can give someone so much choice that they don't know what to choose. Well, it becomes, um, as a, as and a marketeer I've, and someone trying to sell a brand, you, how many types of brands can you produce in order to sort of attract yeah. so many different styles of consumer? That becomes a challenge from our perspective. Definitely. And that's one of the things that one of the agencies that I really respect and two guys that I really look up to are Dixon and Baxi and how they, they're de- the way they deal with trends was actually quite interesting. I was reading about that as well. And they said it's about disruptive thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's revealed through behavior and habits. And so I think there's something in that about you can't pretend to, you can't tick everyone's box. So somehow you've got to be ownable for something and it's interesting in terms of this trend as to if you are so neutral about everything what are you going to hinge yourself on what is the one thing that people can see that you're passionate about because that's what people will buy into mm. it, you can almost become too generic i think do you think you wider, seen- wider thinking do you think that we're the way we're thinking about gender is changing i think that's becoming quite a, an important thing so people okay. don't aren't necessarily seeing or wanting to be seen as yeah. I mean, there's a statement here from um, Marketing Week um, where gender was once something that we were shackled to us at birth. Um, traditional assumptions around gender are being challenged, um, especially among younger generations. Identification is increasingly becoming less binary and more fluid. Slightly generic, but I think people are thinking differently about who they are and what they're about. I, you see yeah. it in any city, big city, you start to see characters around you who are very androgynous. And I know that these androgynous yeah. people have been around for quite some time. Like in 10 years' time, this will be nothing to us. Because 10 years ago, vegans were like, all oh, right, you're vegan, that's weird. And I think <laughs> it's about time that other... This, in 10 years' time, people will go like, well, like, you know, like to be gender neutral is fine. Like, I often buy boys' clothes because mm. I'm small and I can and I quite like to rock up in a superhero T-shirt rather than I like to challenge the convention that you should dress or be and be put in a box a certain way. Yeah. And I think some of the things you would probably even have noticed it having a baby this year, how different 
things like that are. I was Massive reading it, on this yeah. binary trend in terms of there are more gender neutral names, there are more unisex kids' clothes rather yeah. than pinks and blues or or for boys and girls sections. I mean, we might walk into uh, Zara or somewhere in the future and it's not about a boys section and a girls section or a male and a female section. It would just all be together. That's exactly right. And I think right. Selfridges have just done something very similar actually. I was reading yesterday about they've sort of, rather than having separate corners for men and women, they've got um they've got sort of brand storytelling areas um which is quite unique really um in the respect because as you said you walk into a store you have men on one side women on the other now it's sort of very much a mixture i would probably struggle to get into some clothing which is suggested for women personally but (laughs) (laughs) some people want to do it that's fine i mean just talking about some other brands that there is a line though there is a line that has to be drawn and i one of which I'll bring up as an example, which I can't necessarily agree with, and I find it's very odd. And it happened towards the back end of last year. And always sort of feminine hygiene products um, removed the Venus symbol off their packs. Um, wasn't necessarily just a design decision. It was because they wanted the um, feminine hygiene products to be more inclusive for all genders. Now, I don't oh, even wow. remember this. The reason was was because if you have dra- transgendered um, people who've tra- who've gone from hang on, let me get this yeah. one here. Yeah, who've yeah. gone from women to men, but obviously still having their um, menstrual cycles. They want to be able to sort of go and pick up their sanitizers with confidence. <laughs> that doesn't have this. Well, I mean, I that was the. It was a. Honestly, there's a, there's a line that has to be drawn, and there's there are. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that one because I just think I think it's an interesting category in terms of sanitary. Um, protection anyway yeah. but I, I think that was a really weird spin on it yes it was it was very strange there are other brands who do it really well um, I mean, Lynx for example they they were one of the first yeah. to do it making sort of what was a traditionally a sort of teenage boy brand um, starting to sort of make it market it towards um, both boys and girls or men and women but I think so. that's okay like I also think there'll be a backlash to this being gender based and remember years ago there was a campaign of it's not for girls by Yorkie bar mm. i think there'll be a backlash to do things like that that make it almost this very immersive to be a certain yeah. gender yeah i agree i agree it was quite as I, I was reading as well there's a um some of the other things that ripple just belong beyond like a visual thing because a lot of what we've talked about is about visuals or mm-hmm. you know like a certain perception lift the um the equivalent of uber i suppose in america and stuff their campaign this year is Two is too few, and it allows you to pick how you want to be addressed by drivers. So when you get picked up by your Lyft ride or your Uber, if you like, yeah. um, which we shouldn't really mention too many names, but perhaps you know we'll get a few commissions for mentioning the ones, <laughs> is that that people, when they get picked up, and you normally get in the back of a cab and they go, all right, darling, That's you right, can yeah. pick, when, you, when you select your ride, you can pick how you want to be addressed. No way, that's which, incredible. Which is really politically correct, but it did make me wonder if I might be able to hire, hire a ride and ask them to call you Doctor or something yeah. when you get in. <laughs> you could pick a few superhero names. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Wonder Woman, hello. Well, do, do you think, though, that this, this trend will probably feed into almost, even down to things like comics and stuff? I was thinking about the movies that were coming out this year and how we might see that opportunity where you last year there was um, when Wonder Woman came out which was a great film it was about wow like she really took charge in that mm. is this the consumer trend that takes is there going to be an androgynous superhero now oh, I think there are there are there was a, there was a discussion about transgendered um, superheroes being yeah. 
being put forward. But it's transgender androgynous. So I think the difference between like is almost that still picking a certain sex as a transgender okay. um, versus being completely neutral. So I think that androgynous oh. is an interesting to see how that plays out into this gender. So yeah, people want to be, yeah, there's, there's the whole being free to be any gender, but mm. to still dictate people still in transgender people want to morph from one to another whereas i think this trend is quite interesting to see where it goes completely androgynous yeah i'm sure there will be i'm sure there will be i do the cinematic world is, is already just... approaching these these are subjects and obviously over the last few years you've you know, had lots of movies which are not necessarily male or female led but they are sort of very inclusive of everyone i guess uh, and i just the one interest for me is that where this goes i'm really interested to see where this trend goes in terms of in being making everything gender neutral and androgynous, are we making ourselves more like robots? Yes, and is that, is that, that where I, it's coming from? I think I that's think. where it's coming from, right? Mm. Oh, it's scary. It's scary. And I, I'm, I'm probably in the the camp of I think we still need to define ourselves. Um, There's no right or wrong, really. Like everyone, I think we're all entitled to our opinions, and, and I think it's just really interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. Um, and in a year's time, we might be talking about like a challenger documentary type thing or a game changer documentary thing in this area as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's a big, it's a, it's a big subject, which I know that sort of lots of almost every single brand is having to sort of cater for. There are some really good examples of brands that are doing it very well, and others of which are perhaps just sort of finding their feet. Um, so. We could both have gender neutral haircuts for the next episode. That I think would be we already do. I think there isn't at the moment nowadays. There's no, no, no haircut for. I can't rock beard. <laughs> that, well, you could do. There, funny enough, there was what was I thinking <laughs> the other day about sort of. Oh, there was something about a beard brand wanted to be more, um, less gender specific, and I thought, well, how many uh, other genders you know, have beards? Well, you guys, you guys, and you would do it in the UK. You would do Movember. Yes, yes, of course, yeah. Well, I've I've got a friend here, and she every single year she does Movember, and she doesn't obviously grow a moustache, but she she's so creative. She makes a different style of moustache oh, and sticks brilliant. it to her face every day to support the charity and the rise. Yeah. It's awesome. So I think it's good. It's about supporting each other, isn't it? Rather yeah. than going, you can and can't do this. Yeah. So um, and you know, she wins the prize every year for the most creative Movember. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> So Liz, we'll just we'll put new, new gender neutrality um, uh, on the shelf for the moment, and the the last subject I just wanted to sort of talk about sort of very briefly uh, is another. Yeah, let's just of, do this one quick. Yeah, it's, it's another area which I know that sort of we're both sort of quite close to really is um, the alcohol-free movement. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Lise? Well, you know that I was someone who used to drink a pint in 10 seconds and has lots of records for a small person, of which everyone turns around and goes, really? (laughs) It's not something to win awards for. Surely I've told you that one before. When I got my sister. You're you're pocket (laughs) size and you've been downing pints. I tell you, when I'm next in the UK, we'll go for a beer. (laughs) Don't very often do it anymore. I'm like, the amount I drink now, I drink like maybe once every month or so. There are many brands out there that do offer non alcoholic beer as well. So the Heineken, for example, do their zero, Heineken Zero, which is, I mean, there are multiple brands coming out now, not just beers. There's now lots of um, alcohol free spirits. Um, yeah. So it's also the the alcohol free world is also termed as the low and no movement now. So low or no yep. alcohol movements. Um, 
and it's gaining so much propensity. Um, the brands that you're probably aware of, or certainly um, we in the UK are, uh, Seedlip, um, who sort of... Fantastic are, design, that's why. I think ben the ben Branson, wasn't it? Really sharp lad, actually. Yeah, it's a fantastic brand. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful amazing. labels. Well, I think because they designed it so well, what they really did was encourage people to go, look, it's okay not to drink yeah. and that it can still look cool. It made us want to buy into the bottle, disregard what was inside it. Yeah. And I think as someone who, like, because I don't drink hardly ever now, to go into a bar and ask for a drink that wasn't alcoholic, it was always Coke or lemonade, mm. both of which are probably just even worse for you probably than beer. Um, it just wasn't cool to not drink. And we've seen things like juice brands and stuff come up over in the UK, like J2O, to try and challenge it. Yeah. But it, it just wasn't cool to go out and drink. But to be able to pick a bottle that none of your friends know, whether it's gin in there or a blend without any alcohol gin, mm. is great. And I think they unlocked that. They created something that was so cool, people wanted to drink it, disregarding what was in it. Yeah. It's and really... there's so many... Oh, flavor innovations you look i mean mocktails and stuff have just come on in leaps and bounds now that's the big thing i think a lot of people now of, of, of these sort of cocktail what do you call them um well, mixologists aren't they but i think yeah mixology is so much of a cooler trend like yeah. no one even wants to be seen as having a mocktail now do they <laughs> i also think that the rise of kombucha as well so yeah. i think the um awareness in health and lifestyle and just just the sheer taste mm. So I think the flavor innovation in our industry is really what's driving it. So disregards the alcohol content. Like there's some real interest in terms of the mixings and blends and flavors that you can get. A bit like eventually the plant food food has actually started to taste like meat. Yeah. Well, you can get things that are tastier than a whiskey. Yeah. But I think one of the things which I think that people do allow for the slightly odd taste in their drink is it does have a strong alcohol content yeah. um, so when you have odd tasting drinks that don't have any alcohol in you kind of think well what's the excuse for this being a bit tasting weird yeah um as a sideline as well i've i was reading yesterday that gordon's now have got their um gordon's now owned by diageo they have an ultra low alcoholic pre-mixed gin and tonic and so there are brands out there who are, who are a bit like sort of the um the meat-free communities and brands out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are brands now in the UK. Brewdog, for example, have a nanny state yeah. low alcoholic beer as well. So there are lots of people in this space who we know are producing drinks, which are who are notoriously alcohol-producing manufacturers yeah. and now producing non-alcoholic drinks too. Um, yeah. Apparently, I was reading yesterday. It's 2018. 30% of young people never drink at all. So it's now becoming yeah. almost the norm. Not almost the norm, but it is I, becoming very acceptable that people just don't drink. It's actually really nice to go out and about with people. And definitely, because I mean, look, creative industries, notoriously, it's down the pub, yeah. isn't it, on a Friday, yeah. to have beers. And there's still a massive culture that does that. Probably more so in Australia, if I'm honest, than in the UK, mm. even. Um, because it's just a bit of a blokey beer drinking culture and stuff. But... Like it's actually really nice to when someone goes, oh, I don't drink, and it's it's normally I've seen a few recently mates that I've caught up with or even clients they go, oh, no, I don't, I don't drink, and you're yeah. like, really, you don't drink, and it's just it's a ripple effect, isn't it? Because we don't, I don't know if it's also it's a questionable as to whether it's also a societal thing. So well, I like think a, a lot of people go a personal out, statement. Yeah, like 
it, it, there is still going to always be a culture of people that go out to get drunk. Yeah. And that's a different aim and a different market hmm. to people who go out and enjoy a drink but don't want to drink. Oh, I know. I know. I, well, so what do you think, Liz? How do you think this, this as a... Um, a space is going to change uh, the next over the next sort of year or two years because currently we've got some brands who are producing fantastic. I mean, they have, they're selling on flavour, which is what they have to because it can't be on alcohol content or um, how it makes you feel. It's solely on taste and to a certain extent yeah. how it looks. So, see little yeah. clip. I've locked that very well. Beautiful bottle. If I read it correctly. Remembered correctly. They don't want it to be used as a mixer. They want it to be drunk straight. Yes. Um, yes solely because it's just, it ruins the taste and that's what it's all about. Yeah, and I think if you go onto their website, there's a whole story and background as to how and why they created it and where mm. it comes from. It's actually worth looking at because it's really interesting as a story. And I think, I mean, it's really exciting as someone who doesn't really drink very much anymore but enjoys going out and the social aspect of going yeah. out for a drink with friends. It's really exciting as a space. Mm. And I think what was interesting is that we had a bit of a one of the agencies that i worked with they had a party in the shared workspace of which it was about 50 different small agencies not all um in the branding arena there's all sorts of people in there some of them are musical agencies and stuff like that getting together for a bit of a christmas party and the options that were default drink things on the bar i think they were a choice of like 10 free drinks you could have and two of those were alcohol free Mm. One was an alcohol-free beer, but the other one was this thing called um, limited drinks or altered state drinks. Oh, yeah. And really not really nice tasting, a kind of, I guess, an Australian version of a seed lip, but, mm -hmm. you know, different, those kind of drinks. And it was actually, they're replacing on, like, you used to walk into a pub and it would be interesting to see how the, you know, your Guinness and stuff like that innovates. Yeah. Because the taps, I think it will move to a tap type device in that, like, what are you going to go in and buy on tap now? Hmm. Because if they're getting replaced with kombuchas, where do the guys who have been in the game for a long time go? That's true. Or which ones? It's like people, bully, it's no different to bullying in the supermarket, isn't it? It's like which brands are going to stay and which are going to yeah. go. And if you don't innovate in the space as a long-standing brand, yeah. what are you going to do? And it's also, there are so many challenger brands in the space, and I love challenger brands, yeah. but how do you create brand assets and get people to buy into you beyond it being just, you know, because if I've got 10 to pick from, why am I picking you? I pick Seedlip because they're one of the first, and I love the branding, I love yeah. the story and the provenance that comes with it, yeah. whereas I would pick them because they are one of the first, but there's a lot now in well, there. They've had enough time to build up the trust, their brand trust, so because they've been around for some exactly. time, you know they've had that time to understand yeah. the market. I just just, just round up then, Lisa, on that one. I was just like, reading here that um, there's one in five adults in the UK are now teetotal. That sounds quite high, if I'm honest, but uh, that's quite a shocking number if that is the case. If you think I, just, that's... I, hate, I hate the term because I think to me that makes it sound like you just drink tea, but yeah, in terms of what it actually right. means, I think it's quite, like, it's quite interesting, isn't it? It's kind of, I, I, I'm a big believer in that I think you need to grow up and try things to know whether or not they work for yeah, you. That's true. There's a really good podcast that I'll share with you again. I'm really championing the Creative Rebels, so hopefully they'll give us a shout out for <laughs> doing this one. Um, that was recently in a girl that they had on it and I do forget her name but I'll share it with you so that you can include it in the notes yeah. um, who was and used to work in the creative industries and still does work in the creative industries but was so champion she started to tipple into becoming an alcoholic and is now completely clean and had to take a complete break and at that time it was she couldn't socialise 
but what it's done for her by doing it I think she's mm. in her forties or something now and she's set up a completely different business but it's a really it's worth listening to mm. in terms of how our opinions to drinking change within our industry oh, absolutely well, if you pass over those notes I'll put everything into the uh, she's, she's really too. inspiring she's a real inspiration so it's, we've covered sort of plants-based diet, gender neutrality, the alcohol-free movement. So before we sign off, um, I think I, I was just talking before about what uh, what we're thinking moving forward, because come the end of this month, the UK will be leaving the European unity and uh, we are, Brexit will, will, will actually be happening, so we're told. Um, of course, one of the biggest things that uh, I'm... A strong believer in is nations. Oh, are you panicking? <laughs> I, a little bit, but identity, national identities. Um, so Britishness. Um, and I just want to get you a, a quick thought from you. It doesn't have to be very long. Just a quick thought on what you think is how you think it's going to change and what we really need to do because obviously twenty twenty now if we're leaving Europe. Um, twenty twenty generally is exciting. It's a whole new mm. decade, and you think about everything that was championed and brought along in the last decade and what's going to come along this year and a big one for you guys and look in all honesty I, I'm still I'm still British as well as I am Australian and I work gl with oh, global agencies and global. <laughs> they'll, they'll pull me back there one day um, so yeah like it's really interesting to watch it and obviously I was part of it earlier this year earlier last year um, to see how it shifts uh -huh. and you will be thinking about how it affects you how it, it's a really big year for England oh, and I think it, it can go different ways obviously and I think it, um, Australia is a country that's always been proud of where it is from mm. and I think England will maybe even learn from it yeah. in terms of its sourcing and like we locally we had a discussion before we were online because this is how exciting our lives are about the cost of a cauliflower because <laughs> of the bushfires <laughs> and um, and just how brands react to it yeah. um, and how international brands react to Brexit so one thing that I did see earlier, actually when I was out in the city, is that Coca-Cola are doing a support the bushfires and they've created a can and all the, it's support the fireies and if you buy it, all of the proceeds go to the bushfires. Oh, wow. okay. It'll cool. be interesting to see how brands like that react to Brexit. Yeah. I guess it's not obviously a national disaster and it's obviously not natural causes. It's something that um, our prime minister has chosen and the nation has chosen. Yeah. But it, I think it, it how individual brands react to it and how global brands react to it, will re it will really affect you guys. Like you'll have to do more local sourcing. Things will have to be more provenance based. It's really hard because when you ask to define what is Britishness, is it a state of mind? Is it a look? Is it sort of, um, is it just a Union Jack? Um, what is British? It's a really hard one to put your finger on. And it's so many things and it's different to every person, isn't it? It, it is. Different to you could say the same to an Australian and say, right, define Australia. What is um, what is Australia to you? What does it mean? And every person would say it's something different. But they would also say, we're a diverse community. Um, we are accepting of anyone and everyone around us. As long as you've worked to our values and our morals within our country, that is Australia. And I think to a certain extent, that's what we are in Britain. We have a, a, sort of a strong set of values, the way in which we sort of like to do things. And despite what people think, most people in the UK are love Europeans and love the fact that we're, we're, we're part of this big community um, and love the fact that hopefully we're still going to have a free movement across Europe and we will allow people to come into this country and work and we can work in other people's countries too and just to allow for that sort of open world around us. 
Um, so yeah, so I didn't want to divert too much. I okay. just, it's, it's just an interesting, no, it's an interesting it's, subject and so um, poignant right now. We should talk about it again in six months' time. Yes, exactly. And, um, and see, like in terms of like a consumer reaction to it, mm. will be really interesting because now it's like they've faffed around for so long. It's now it's happening. Yeah. How are you going to react to it? Okay, Liz. Um, how can people get in touch with you at the start of the podcast you were talking about your website remind us again what that is and what's on it and how people can get yeah, you can have uh, a look it's just, it's just sim- it's simply just lisahastings.me or you can find me on LinkedIn Lisa Hastings Instagram is shoebox20 it's been fun thank you Mark yeah no worries at all thank you Lise we will, shall speak very soon thanks Mark chat soon